Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Cry Like a Boy, a Euro News original service and podcast that explores how the pressure to be a man can harm families and societies. Stay with us as we travel across the African continent to meet men who defy centuries-old stereotypes. Today we continue our conversation with Sheba Akpokli, who joins us from Lome, the capital of Togo in West Africa, and Youssef Belchmagli, who is in Aubervilliers in France. Sheba Akpokli is a Togolese lawyer and LGBTIQ plus rights activist. And Youssef Belchmagli is a Moroccan trans woman activist based in France. I am Khoposo Budibe with you from Johannesburg, South Africa. If you haven't listened to the first part of this conversation about gay rights and homophobia in Africa and also in Europe, please do yourself a favor and listen to it at our website, www.euronews.com slash special slash cry like a boy podcasts. Now, as we start this conversation, traveling back in time in the episodes of the Guo Jigen, we discovered that Senegalese society was much more tolerant of sexual and gender diversity a few decades ago. The question that I have for our guests, for both Youssef and Sheba, is have you also seen an upsurge in homophobia in recent years in Togo and Morocco? Yes, because uh, I think it's uh, somewhat of a response to the need for self-determination for of our communities. We want to take the space and live freely. And the, the debate is highly influenced by the religious group and sometimes the politics, you know, because they, they want to have the public opinion with them. I remember... Um, this year, while we was actually getting in all these COVID-19 things where in Togo, like in some most African country, it was um, some religious leader was spreading some messages that this COVID-19 is actually a punishment from God because of homosexuality. So you can easily understand that in this kind of concept, the, the homophobia is actually a spreading every day, in fact. What I hear you to be saying, Sheba, is that uh, as people in positions of authority pronounce against the LGBTIQ community, then they get the sympathy of uh, people at uh, grassroots level in communities, thus actually 
making homophobia to be something that is quite rampant and uh, quite noticeable throughout communities. People listen to their leaders, in fact, as you know, the Togo is a very religious country, even if the law doesn't say that. But And people used to listen to uh, their leaders at religious spaces and the speech in their spaces is not an inclusive speech. So people going back home will never been that inclusive, that, 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 that to tolerate any mm, kind mm, of mm. diversity. Now, Youssef, is that your experience too in uh, Morocco? Absolutely. Uh, Morocco shares a lot of similar traits to the context in Togo. So obviously the leaders, the political leaders in Morocco, which are embodied by the king, but mostly like by the government, which is led by the Justice and Development Party, which is an Islamist fundamentalist party. So they actually do um, nourish the LGBTQ phobic pressures on people inside Morocco. And when I was in Morocco, I used to hear a lot of people say, well, even if the government starts legalizing stuff about LGBTQ, like the mentalities in the country will not evolve because the mentalities are supposed to be the main problem. But I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that if the leaders were to advance in a good direction for LGBTQ, well, most people would follow because they're the leaders and they actually count a lot in this kind of political context, which is not that democratic and really about political leadership. Uh, so there's that. About like uh, specific upsurges, we also had a lot of cases of homophobia, of transphobia during the recent years. And we had um, a really violent and intense episode during the first lockdown. So it was like in March. So we had like a trans uh, influencer who started making calls to action to people, telling them to go on Grindr, to go on Tinder, so they can found like their cousins, their friends, their families. So there was like this massive outing campaign that uh, happened and it led to obviously massive violence to a lot of beatings, a lot of people getting thrown away from their houses, from their families. And it was really, really violent and, and made a lot of noise. And I think this specific event is to some extent like confusing because why would a trans woman would do that to gay people? So I think that obviously it's way more, more complex than it looks, but obviously not only it shows that homophobia and transphobia are still really, really, really strong in Morocco, but it also shows a lot of um, tensions and a lot of division inside the LGBTQI plus world. I like to use the word, the, the, the word world or galaxy to talk about LGBTQs because I don't really like the, the, the term community because, well, in reality, it's not really one massive united community. It's a bit more divided than that. Activism has also, have also been pretty intense and pretty strong. And like Sheba said, the upsurge in homophobia might be also linked to some kind of backlash because activism gets stronger. Now, if we look into the origin of the laws that punish homosexuality, in Senegal, we discovered that its origin is in the colonial laws, not in the culture of the country. 
a question to the both of you. Do you know if homophobia also has colonial origins in Morocco and Togo? I would say yes, it has, because um, it should be remembered that many of our countries in West Africa share a same French-speaking colonial background. So, And we really had trouble breaking away from it, at least from the law and regulations. Even if we try to update our legal document, the source is still the, the French law. So yes, before colonial, colonization, there was nothing like that. It, um, I remember when we was having the, the opportunity to, to, to lobby during the, the revision of, of our penal code, the one that we were using since the colonial period, actually. So uh, there was, uh, like I was saying, we, were, we had the opportunity to lobby when we was, uh, there was the revision of the penal code. And guess what? We lobbied, but a lobbied for the, the religious and the media was... Uh, was more uh, has more impact than ours, so we didn't go, we didn't got what we wanted. In fact, the law has been increased. So I think that uh, we we inherited this law from the, the uh, from the the colonization, and we keep it because we. I don't know why we used to keep it, but definitely, you know, for the for instance, the case of Togo, you have that law that has never been used since the the penal code has been updated in two thousand and sixteen, I think. So, but we we still want to keep it. I don't know why why we just just do that, but we're still keeping this heritage that we got from the colonization. What is the case in Morocco, Youssef? The parts of the penal code that repress homosexuality in Morocco directly come from France and especially uh, from the criminal code that was written like when Napoleon was in power in France. So there's that. If we also start talking about how all of this affects mentalities, how it affects people, well, it's not really unusual to hear in a lot of African countries and a lot of African cultures that homosexuality and trans identity are stuff that has are basically stuff that are European and basically none of this is like African or anything like that. So I, I do find it quite interesting to to see this gap between the fact that in many countries that used to be European colonies, we have like a repression that comes from colonialism. And on the other hand, we like whip out homophobia and transphobia like it was some kind of like proof of African purity, which is not. I think that colonialism has also shaped the way that we address homophobia and transphobia because it also added some kind of like racial resentment. Like even in Les Banlieues, which are not that white, there are actually like very few white people there. Uh, even there, like when you, when I hear the word uh, PD, when I hear this in the streets, I feel like people are basically saying that I've abandoned my culture and, I, and that I'm basically acting like a, a bougie white person, which is not true. The stigma isn't really sexual, it's really cultural, and it has been shaped into a racial problem with colonialism and neo-colonialism and the racism that comes from it. What I hear both of you to be saying is that homophobia has been institutionalized. The influence actually comes from uh, the colonial origins. Uh, now, the researcher, Christophe Brocard, 
explained to us how colonization has globalized and standardized the categories of LGBTIQ+, ending the diversity of regions such as Africa. For example, before the arrival of colonialism in Senegal, Gwojigin was a term that defined a third gender in Senegal, not a gay person. Are there similar figures in the history of Togo and Morocco? For sure. I would say globalization, you know, does not only have positive effects. For, um, you know, that in our culture, we used to have those figures where those people were, who was respected by everyone and never discriminated because this is, this is our culture. We even have some words for that. Like I was saying in the beginning of this, uh, this conversation, like those people was, uh, really respecting identity was, there was a diversity in the, in the, in the identity. Those people was not considered gay before the colonization brought a word on that. So I think it's actually, it's totally a point that yes, with the colonization, they do like, they did like, um, a globalization of every identity, every gender. And, uh, yes, we, ju we, they just pack everything in just one umbrella, like LGBTQI plus people, which was not, um, defined like that in our culture before. Let's hear your take on this, Yusef. Absolutely. It's pretty much the same thing also in Morocco. We don't really have like a Senegal, uh, a specific, uh, identity like uh, the Gorgigen, but we do have a lot of social, cultural aspects, cultural behaviors, cultural traditions that really have a lot of gender diversity and gender fluidity in them. Like for instance, it's getting rarer and rarer, but like it's really it used to be like quite common to have like cross-dressing dancers in weddings, for instance. The most important thing isn't actually like the cross-dressing. Like it, it is cross-dressing only if you look at it in a certain standpoint. But yeah, like obviously with globalization, there has been like a normalization in the way that LGBTQI plus persons should behave and should identify themselves. But the, the reality of it is that in Morocco, but it's not like just in Morocco, but I'm gonna talk about it in morocco we have a lot of identities we have a lot of behaviors we have a lot of practices that don't even like fall into the traditional gender binary so in order to really comprehend these things and all of their nuances and details we really have to leave the gender binary to the side because it's really not about a third gender it's really more about a whole new system of uh, comprehending gender fluidity just in one sentence, what positive examples do you know of West Africa about tolerance and richness of sexual and gender diversity? I'm saying here positive examples because um, we have been talking a lot about the doom and gloom, but then there should be something that is positive out of this. What are sort of positive examples can you share with us? Just in one sentence, uh, Yusef and uh, you, Sheba. I think uh, the fluidity of gender in our culture, for instance, for instance, there are some traditional parties in my country and in West Africa where you can dress up and it's perfectly okay. No one is going to attack you at this period. So I'm just going to keep on this positive note there. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, Yusuf, any positive experience from your side? The fact that you can dress up like as you want is really quite heartwarming. When I used to live in Morocco, I used to dress up quite flamboyantly. It, it, 
wasn't always an issue. I didn't get insulted every day or something like that. I think that there's a lot of to discover from what's outside the gender binary, what's outside the the whole LGBTQI plus umbrella. We should always, we should obviously like stick up to it, stick to the LGBTQ identity and fight for rights, fight for civil protection, fight for an actual integration within society. But I think we should also look beyond the words and beyond what has been like settled. When I think about Morocco, I don't necessarily think about like like you said about the doom and gloom, I also think about the possibilities that future holds for us. So we're going to hold on to that very, very strongly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much to the both of you, Youssef and uh, Sheba, for spending this time. We have gained a lot of knowledge from you both. Thank you so much for sharing your time and insights with us. Thank you for the invitation. <laughs> it was also very, very enriching for me. Thank you. It was very interesting and I did enjoy this conversation and I hope you people as well. Thank you so much for your time, the both of you, Yusuf and uh, Sheba. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Cry Like a Boy. This show has been produced with me, Khoposo Budibe, Marta Moreiras in Senegal, Marta Rodriguez Martinez, Lilo Montalto Monella, Naira Davlashian, and Awa Bakala in Lyon. Special thanks go to Lori Martinez, Clizia Sala, and Studio Ochenta for helping us produce this podcast. The music theme is by Gabriel Dalmoso. I would like to thank our guests, Sheba Akpokli and Youssef Belkhmadi. For more information on Cry Like a Boy, a Euronews original series and podcast, go to euronews.com to find opinion pieces, videos, and articles on the topic. Follow us on Twitter, at Euronews is our Twitter handle, and we are at euronews.tv on Instagram. Also, share with us your own stories of how you changed and challenged your view on what it means to be a man using the hashtag cry like a boy. If you are a French speaker, this podcast is also available in French. Dan La Tête des Hommes is the name of the podcast service. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.